Hi. Hi. Who are you? I am Almar, and I'm an addict. What kind of addict? Attention addict. I love attention. Any attention. And what are we doing here? Uh, we're making a podcast. What is that about? Um, it's about the things like uh, people's stories, how they ended up where they are, ended up doing what they're doing. And uh, yeah, it was supposed to be about something else, but I ended up with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are those people? Um, these are my friends. Uh, uh, yeah, basically my network, but because I wanted to make a show about me, but I didn't really have anything to talk about. So I ended up looking at the network. The network was interesting. So I kind of thought, okay, I can may- maybe make something with this. So do you have already a name for this uh, podcast? Yeah, it's called The Bunker. How the hell did we end up here? And how is it connected to to the theme? Uh, how the hell did we end up here? So basically people's stories and how they went from A to B and then to C and with coincidences, decisions, traumas. Basically anything that moves you to the direction or the point where you are. Mm-hmm. So how often are you going to have this podcast? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure, but maybe like two two times a month three times a month so do you take yourself seriously enough do you have some sponsors yeah like every other professional podcast then of course i have sponsors i have the old bar uh, that's the the greatest thing in carlin sells amazing oatmeal and skier mm. everything is handmade um, and it's available from eight to three during the weekdays, closed in the weekends, but you can order on Walt as well. And it's a place that you really want to go. Healthy yet tasty. Mm, And then I have, yeah, and then I have a company called Alfred. It's alfred.cz. It's a place where you can find jobs. You can set up a job watch. You can get notified whenever there's a cool job coming along. And it's a great solution for anyone who is either looking for a job or wants to change jobs because you can... Find the right job without spending time looking for it. Uh, it's available in Czech, English and Slovak. And uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, Alfred.cz Yeah, those are the guys. Welcome to the bunker. Sex, drugs and rock and roll. What is there not to like? If you like all or any of it, you're going to like this episode. I have my friend Atti here. He's been in music for almost 30 years and he has toured the world with his band Solstavir. The band Denati never had a plan B. It was rock or bust. So they went all in. So on this episode you can hear all the ups and downs of being a rock and roll star, how music labels can fuck you over, the drinking, the partying, the drugs and the touring, plus a little bit about the money part. Solstever just released an album earlier this month, so go check it out. Ati is the singer and guitar player, and before we start, here is an example of how he can sound. Enjoy. So uh, today the bunker is being recorded uh, slightly differently than usual. Uh, I'm in Iceland, uh, in another person's bunker. Um, I have my friend Ati. Welcome to the bunker, Ati. 
Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, many people might not know, but the, the music that I primarily use on the bunker um, is uh, from Atis band, Solstavir. Uh, Solstavir is a band that is known worldwide and ironically probably least known in Iceland out of most other parts of the world. Um, uh, did, do you remember how we met? Um, yeah. It was uh, literally uh, two streets from here. We're downtown Reykjavik now. Yeah, we're in 101 Reykjavik. So it's two streets away. Um, it was about five in the morning. I'm hammered drunk um, in a basement in a bar called Bar 11. And um, my friend, uh, he says, come on, we're going to a party. And I'm like, it's it's bloody five, you know. Where on earth do you think you're going now? He said, come on, we're going. And of course, me being that party guy, I just, you know, obey my orders. And off we go to a taxi, and there's some, some another guy there, and that would be you. And uh, I remember we are driving uh, like 10 kilometers away from downtown, and you make a phone call to someone saying, we're on our way. And I'm like, okay, I don't care where we're going, but let's go there. And we go to an industrial area in Kopavogur. Um, yeah, it's uh, basically a strip club. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at 12, at noon, well, same day, uh, I remember us having, you know, probably the first talk we had with each other for like five hours. Shall we go? <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah. We, I remember we kept the place open basically single-handedly from yeah, it was just 5.30 in the morning. 5 to 12, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it was, I, I, call, I call that, when you spend money in a strip club, I call it like a direct uh, development aid because it, is, it has no intermediary. It's just uh, straight to the person who then buys it's a house. It's a really positive way of thinking, but yeah. even though it's, it's very sick behavior. <laughs> But yeah, but prior to this, I had I had seen you guys play in, in a music festival in Denmark, the Roskilde Festival, which is a huge festival. And uh, and this was 2006 or seven uh, that I saw you, maybe 2008. And uh, I remember it was like a 5,000 people event when you guys were playing. And, uh, and I had heard the name of the band. I hadn't really heard the music. And then... This mutual friend that got got us into that strip club mess. He he had told me you gotta go and see those guys if you go into that festival, and and it was like a eye opener. You know, the, the, there were these Icelandic guys, my fellow countrymen, dressed in leather, looking super cool. And I remember you were using um, uh, flour uh, to cover yourselves to get this effect on 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 the look, and and it didn't look Icelandic somehow. It looked like the real deal. And uh, and then I remember because after our our adventure, first adventure, then soon after that you actually came and played in Prague. Yeah. And uh, it kind of 
told me that like you guys are bigger outside of Iceland than than in Iceland and and I've been lucky enough to see you I don't know probably like 12 times in Prague over the last 10 years that's and it just grows quite a lot yeah yeah I mean you know but it's uh, the whole irony is that like you say that um, we might be more known outside of Iceland than in, in Iceland when we formed the band sort of as a young friends playing black metal in the mid 90s it was the cool we considered it the coolest thing to not play live because that's what the cool bands did they didn't play live uh, so we were never gonna play live uh, and even you know from 95 till like 2000 we only played like I think the first gig was like in 99 and 2000 it was just a few gigs I mean it wasn't until like 2004, four, five, till we sort of became the live band that we are. Mm-hmm. And that sort of live band that got born in 2004, five is the band you saw at mm-hmm. Roskilde Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I stop there a little bit, I remember I went to Roskilde Festival in 98. I went there in 2000 and 2003. And I remember saying 2003, never coming back here unless I play. And I did. Oh, that's cool. That was kind of cool. Uh, so you saw us there in 2010, right? Yeah, I could. I, I think it was earlier, actually. I think, I think it could have been could have been earlier. But it might, it might be 2010. I, I don't remember. It I think kind it's of, 10. Because I went there every year for, you know, 10 I th- years I, or something. I think it's 10. Yeah. Uh, so we have sort of played a lot live, mostly here in... Grand Rock, you know, next street by Lögavegur. Yeah, in Reykjavik, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we've played a lot with, you know, Brain Police and a lot of other bands, so uh, by the time we had Roskilde Festival, we were a good live band. I mean, and we were like a proper band. We were like a gang. I mean, the first gig we went that's hanging somewhere here, some laminate. I remember the first time we, the, the, well, the first time we went abroad was 2004, played in Lop in Christiania. Mm-hmm. That was a terrible gig. But, ex- you know, the only good thing is that we played, well, two good things came out of that. We played in Lop in Christiania. I swear, you know, the Pumpkins had played there, the Blur, a lot of legendary bands. And being in Christiania, in Lopin, uh, Lop in Christiania in, in Copenhagen, it's a really cool place. Yeah, it's a free state. Yeah, it's a free state. So it's, it's a kind of cool place. Uh, and then, of course, the second cool thing is that uh, uh, at the end of the show, Gummi trashed his drum kit. And, you know, it was a kind of cool thing. But I, I, I noticed, like, during this time in, in watching you guys in Prague, yeah, it's probably from, like, 2010, because I moved to Prague 2009, that, like, the audience grew year on year. I remember the first gig I saw you was, like, 150 yeah, people. Yeah. And I was pissed off at the sound engineer because, and it turned out it was the doorman from the place who doubled as a sound engineer. And then next year it was a slightly better place, next that's, year that's, better. That's always been like that. I mean, I mean, the first tour we went, it is like 10 years ago as well. I think I saw a poster of it. 2009, 10, first time we came to Prague. First time we played, went to Czech Republic. Yeah, it was the Brutal Assault, right? No, it was in, 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 we played in Boro. Uh-huh. Brno. Yeah. Brno. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brno. Yeah, Brno. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's written Boro. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bro, yeah. 
So we played that in 2010, I think. Uh, I was really excited to go to Czech Republic for the first time, even though you know we knew we didn't have a lot of following there. Uh, we were playing with sort of similar sized bands that we weren't uh, following a big band, but because our first EP came out in Czech Republic in 1996 mm. on View Beyond Records from Stribro. It's it's a place in Czech Republic, probably pronounced incorrectly. So coming there for the first time, uh, I don't even remember the venue. It wasn't a great gig. I remember we were like, yeah, we're in Czech Republic. We're gonna play us from our first album. It came out here. No one, no one cared. <laughs> <laughs> so no, not a single person cared that we were excited about being there and playing stuff of our first album. But you know. Um, I remember after that, we didn't go to... Because we don't really book these tours ourselves. Now we can a little bit... I mean, you know, we can do it now. Like last tour we said... I mean, I remember talking to our agent saying, I, we want to go to Serbia, we want to go to Croatia, we're going to go to Northern Ireland. So, and maybe we did. But back then, it wasn't up to us. They would just send us anything, mm. uh, send us any place. And we didn't really go to Czech Republic for a long time. Uh, but then now, where every time we go to Prague now, it's one of our favorite places. I mean, yeah, and it's it's interesting to see at this that the the uh, the following like it grew, and I I think for me like the pinnacle of it was when uh, I don't know, like two three three years probably ago, maybe four, when ACDC had a seventy five thousand sold out event on the same evening as you played. With 700 people, you sold out one of the best known. So we got the leftovers. No, you got the, you got the cream, you know, and and you, and you you sold out one of the best known venues in Prague on the same evening. And the goosebumps came for me yeah. when all these guys that were there, they were singing in Iceland. Yeah, yeah, that's happened sometimes. It's, it's still it's still you know, uh, I don't know the feeling, but it's a really weird feeling. It's happened the same, you know. I mean, when we were in. No, uh, when we were in Colombia, Bogota, Colombia, it, it's pretty far away. It's yeah, really far, it's a great city. It's even further away from Prague. And I remember we were touring South America and, you know, it's Mexico, Brazil, Argentina. We started up in Mexico and I started in Chile, but, you know, we do a lot of Central and South American dates. And then we go to Bogota and it was the smallest gig on the tour. We hear like pre-sales are not so good, it's a small club. We were like... Okay then, you know, one of those gigs. But you know, we, we pull everything into it. Um it was like three hundred kids there and they sang every word. I mean remember we started playing Nachtmaul, the song Nachtmaul, and it felt like we were queen at Wembley. Mm-hmm. It was like three hundred Colombian kids screaming every goddamn word in Icelandic. And I was like, Is this like a joke or something? Yeah. Instead of teleprompter in here Because they were singing every word It's like You motherfuckers don't even speak Icelandic You hardly speak English Yeah uh, It's it's, cra- it's crazy stuff But uh, uh, what, But If we go back a little bit out there, If we kind of You know Back to the Where did this all start You know Like You know Where are you from And, and how, how How did this all start uh, In my dad's garage I mean uh like you and your mutual friend, who we don't mention, mm. you grew up in in Kobor. 
we grew up on the other side of the lake, Breholt. The fancy side of Breholt, sort of the Beverly Hills. Not cool to say you know, from there. Um, I mean, we had we had all all been in sort of death metal bands in the nineties and sort of uh, in early nineties. You know, I remember standing in uh, a bookstore called Amundsen downtown Reykjavik. Me and Haldor, and we're reading. You know, we walk into the store and we you know we always knew where Kerrang would be kept in the bookstore because there's no internet here. So you know, Kerrang, Metal Hammer. Threat and Burn, later Terrorizer. This, this was the world. Mm-hmm. And I remember we saw she Kerrang and there's, there's a picture of Vark Weakness from Bursum, half naked on top, you know, and his hair all in front of his face and said, I peed on Euronymous grave or something like that. And so that was, you know, coming from death metal, gore and splatter from Florida and the Norwegians burning churches and hailing Satan playing black metal. I was like, oh, count me in, man. This is this is the shit. And so... How old are you? Roughly what age is this? 93. 15? Four, five, yeah, something like that, you know. I'm not good at math, so... This is 93. I, I can calculate every year in my life by sort of music points. I don't uh-huh. know what, how old I was in that year, that year, but I can tell you whatever happened in 93, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. But by that time, when you were 15, you already knew how to play guitar or, or, or how, how... No, I was a bass player. Uh, I was a bass player, uh, you know, my, you know, I was a bass player and uh, we always had a drum kit, a drum kit in my dad's garage. So there was always a drum kit next to me. So I learned how to play the drums as well. So it wasn't until, you know, Solstice where me and Haldor wanted to form this black metal band, which, you know, we started talk, talking about it like in 94. Uh, but there was kind of no one that played guitar was willing to do it, so I had to do it. So I borrowed a Fender Stratocaster from a friend of mine who had just got it as a, how do you say, Ferminger gift, confirmation, confirmation present. Confirmation yeah. present. It's... It's that guitar right over here. Uh-huh. Uh, so I got that one in 1995. Why are you laughing? <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just that you still have something that you got or your friend got when he was 14. Yeah, I still used it. Yeah. I used it last time in Prague. He got it from a confirmation present and I used it to play black metal stuff. That's kind of cool. Yeah, you get confirmed in a church and the guitar, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. cool. Anyway, so, you know, we... Uh, and, you know, by 95, we... Uh, we were already a three-piece band, and we um, recorded our first demo, just totally ripping off the Norwegians. And 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 at, at this time, I mean, like th- this is like the black metal comes in, like let's say, ninety-one, ninety-two, right? I mean, I mean, you know, sort of the first, uh, the first sort of, uh, uh, let's say, second wave black metal. If first wave black metal is Venom and all that stuff. So for second wave black metal is like Dark Throne. Is if you have a place in the northern sky, it's from 1991. Mm-hmm. So black metal as we know it today didn't exist before that. Period. So you you jump on that wagon. I mean, and how was that? Like, uh, you know, did did uh, did people around you, like your family, your parents and grandparents, did they? What did they think of this? They didn't. <laughs> they didn't give a shit. Oh. You know, uh, you know, it was never anything like that. Uh, pff, not, no, they didn't care. Uh, 
I have a really funny memory about sort of this black metal thing because by 1995, you know, there was a few rules you had to do in order to play black play black metal. No jokes. You cannot smile and tell jokes. You're not. You cannot use the word fun. You had to wear corpse paint or armor. That's just and prefer preferably not play live. Anyway, so we were following a few guidelines. So. We had to have to go and take... We were doing a demo, so uh, me and Haldor, uh, we would go put on a course paint. Haldor was a bit shy, so he was like, I'm, not, I'm just going to wear a ski mask. So he borrowed his dad's ski mask. He put a ski mask on, a cowboy hat with a feather on, like a sorrow sword, and I think he borrowed his mom's coat. So he was dressed like that. And me, I was in a leather jacket. Kind of cool. With coarse paint, it looked more like a panda bear. And uh, driving a light pastel blue Volkswagen Beetle, <laughs> myself, into the old cemetery. And I remember still driving that, but this is winter 95. I'm driving because I put the coarse paint on at home. And I don't remember who saw me, but you know, walking, driving in Brethold with a coarse paint. In your face? Yeah, yeah, you know, just you know, with my face. Like covered, a panda? Like a panda bear. Uh... With Haldor with a ski mask and a cowboy hat and then a light blue Volkswagen Beetle 1974 model into the cemetery to take photos. <laughs> and these photos exist on the internet today. It's kind of cool. <laughs> this so, is yeah. great. And, and your parents thought you were fine, right? Yeah. I, mean, they were, they I, I was never a troubled kid. No? So, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, I, never, I never liked school, uh, but, you know, I was never a troubled kid. Um, there was always a lot of support. I mean, I think of today, ever since I was 12, 13, till like I was, I don't know, with, with pauses and parts, 12 to 17, we rehearsed in my parents' garage. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really soundproof. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the neighbors? We were playing grindcore and death metal and black metal four times a week, every day, after school, when people came home from work. <laughs> there was some motherfuckers playing death metal, black metal next door. Screaming in the microphone like choking a chicken. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, they never lovely. said anything. There was yeah. never anything. You got to quit. You got to soundproof. You know, no, it was never. I know. So there's a lot of support in that way. Yeah. And even the funniest thing is that we used to rehearse in my dad's garage on the top floor. There was a huge hole in the middle. middle of, so we used to stand all around the hole. Otherwise, you would fall down. And I remember... <laughs> Gummy had to open a closet in order to play drums. So the hi-hat was placed in a closet. And sometimes the closet would close and would get into the hi-hat. And the hi-hat didn't work because the closet closed in the hi-hat. He would, he would, he would have to um, climb over the drum kit. To get Can, behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and the hi-hat was in the closet. Sounds, really, sounds very primitive. And then, then this is kind of funny. Then we... We were kind of pro, though, you know, with the Bullsock and Beatle and all that. Then we would uh, go to a recorded demo in Fettler Hedler, you know, sort of youth center, like mm-hmm. a, almost like a YMCA center. Uh, and then we got the demo and we had to make cassettes because, you know, there's no internet and, you know, there's no, no one's pressing your album. So you, you would make 100 cassettes. I think I remember taking the bus to, to an offset factory and making 10,000 flyers. Just Icelandic black metal, some photo. I still have this. I have all this stuff here. 
Uh, we had PR boxes. I mean, I had my own PR box. 88921128 Reykjavik. And Halthor had his own, and Kumi had his own. We had PR boxes, would go there every day. And, and was there ever anything in the boxes? Full. Uh-huh. Everything full of stuff. You know, we were tape trading like maniacs, all of us. Uh, I still have all the demos. Uh, yeah, so we'd go to the master of the demo, uh, Gisli Helgason. It was a blind guy. I think he's playing the clarinet. He's done a few albums. So like Gisli Helgason plays the clarinet. Yeah, I remember him. So I would walk into, it's called Blindra Vinafjallaith. How would you? Uh, blind, the Blind Association. Blind, yeah. blind People Association, yeah. So we'd walk into there and meet Gisli because they were sort of the go-to people if you need to do... Uh, uh, because obviously blind people use and use and used uh, cassettes to listen to books. Uh, so I went there to get 100 cassettes. And I remember the, the moment I handed him the master, it's like a small, it's like a size of a Zippo lighter, mm. the, the death master, handing a blind guy the master of her album. And he's like, I'll take care of it. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, It's surreal. It's kind of surreal. And then I remember he puts it in the machine and starts twisting some knobs and I'm like how is, how is this going to work <laughs> but you know it's obviously it's a so and, and this this um, like um, at this time you're like 15 to 18 20 right this is in 95 so I'm 18 yeah I, because I'm in uh, you know if I do idiot math uh, by uh, 97 I'm 20 yeah so at this time, you're still in school, or or, or yeah, yeah, we are in uh, FBA, Philbert, uh, like a secondary it's like, school, it's like yeah. high school, yeah, yeah. It's a high school, like a high yeah, school yeah. yeah. So we're only high school. Uh, I remember every lunch, I would go on my grandmother's 1974 Beetle to the post office box, and you know, I was, I was, I was not really, I was that much into tape trading. I quit school to go work for the post office. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I still remember in 1996, I was working at the post office uh, and I got a package from Czech Republic. I still have it here at the envelope from 1996 with the handwriting. Uh, it was our first MCD. So we got, you know, it was the very underground black and white cover. Uh, even the paper and the CD cover wasn't even folded. We had to fold it ourselves. Uh, so I got a package from. Czech Republic from Pavel. Pavel sent me like you know fifty or something. It was only like limited to five hundred CDs, and we would get fifty. So and that's the that's the the publisher. Sorry, I mean that's, that's the, the, the uh, record, record label. Record label. Uh, yeah, on the, on the there's record. a Czech so one. Yeah, yeah. In nineteen ninety six, no black metal band from Iceland had done a CD, mm-hmm. an album. So that was kind of you know big thing. Yeah, I mean, being an Icelandic black metal band making a CD, you know, no one was there. I mean, mm. so I remember I was working. I was the guy that would go get it for the customs. And I remember when she stamped it, uh, uh, nothing to declare. So I got it for free. So it was kind of cool. So that's nine. Yeah, that's 96. And uh, that's really far away from... The way the band is today, of course. I mean, yeah, yeah, but it's it's part of the 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 background. Then I I think a lot of like it's interesting that you develop a kind of from that music and just in the, those ten years that I've been following you guys. Um, I mean, even during that time, 
the music has developed significantly and, and has become something completely different from what it was. But uh, what I was curious about, like, uh, was there never any other other way? I mean, was this, did you decide, do you want to be a, a musician or a rock star or, you know, like, or was there any other alternative? No, sadly not. This is it. Uh, you don't really think about that at that age. I mean, uh, it's it's almost like a mental disorder being in a rock band because I do remember it's like a carrot. I mean, I do remember in 1999 we were signed to a German label and at that time I thought, this is it. We have a record label with a German record label and he's paying a lot of Deutschmarks for the studio and then we're gonna go touring I'm sad no, mm-hmm. that that never happened uh, the, the the label got bankrupt the the label boss had a sex change operation what di- so say this again yeah this is kind of uh, why are you laughing I don't know I don't know uh, so our our first full length album was uh, I could write a book about that so we're on this uh, German label called uh, ARS, ARS Metalli, and, you know, his name is uh, Christoph, uh, Christoph Doberstein. Uh, you know, I have a lot of faxes from him. He was the fax machine, it was the current email thing. Uh, he paid, like, I don't remember how much, but, you know, 40,000 Deutschmark or something to do the album. And during the album recording, it took we went in there in... Uh, uh, 99 early 99 the album came out 2002 so uh, there was a break in in the studio stuff stolen uh, uh, the desk broke we had to get a spare part from Japan and the mixer desk yeah yeah mixer desk uh, the, the the producer was going through a divorce Gummy uh, broke his arm first day of recording and that's uh, bad for a drummer. That's bad for a drummer. Seguros were finishing their first album, so they kicked us out many times. He said, at our studio, they were finishing up, I'll get this period. Uh-huh. Uh, then, at the end of the sort of recording procedure, Christoph uh, stopped replying. Um, it was very weird, because he had always been on cool terms, and then he just disappeared. And Then I remember, I, I'm in Berlin, like, you know, a year later or something, and we had a mutual friend called Jan, and Jan, you know, had been with us for like one or two days, and you know, uh, sort of listening to our idiotic humor, we drunk the whole time, so just constant bullshit mode, constant bullshit mode, and you know, uh, then all of a sudden he says, uh, <laughs> I really want to do a German accent, but I'm not sure I will. And he says, uh, have you heard from, from Christop? And I said, no, I haven't. Hmm. <laughs> then it becomes really weird in his face and says, Christop is about to become a woman. <laughs> and I'm like, what? That's a weird joke. Say it again. Christop is about to become a woman now. I'm like... I don't know if I, you know, it's, it's not really funny to don't joke about stuff like that. I mean, even though we, we bullshit all the time, but no, I'm serious. So that's why he stopped answering, stopped faxing me back. 
he had started um, uh, he had st- started uh, hor- change, yeah, hormone treatment and seeing shrinks for a year on behalf of the German government. They're paying the whole thing. So his name is now Julia Doberstein, and he's into politics. <laughs> so and did Julia eventually publish your album? The label or? went bankrupt. Uh, oh, okay. The money, what money was spent on something else? No, I mean, no, no, the story isn't that funny. But it, it was so much that happened during this album. Even when the album had been pressed, there was a truck driving from the factory somewhere else in Europe, and there was a car crash. So it's like 5,000 soldiers series lying on a bloody autobahn. So uh, that label went bankrupt. And then what happened to the album then? The album, uh, we got like some of the rest of the, uh, what was picked up from the highway, I think. And, and but the recordings, I mean, did uh, you the, the album came out. The album okay, came they out. came yeah, out yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Christoph was never sort of, he was always very uh, honest. Well, I'm saying he uh, financially, he was he 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 did his thing, you know. With uh, he paid for the album, uh-huh. and, uh huh. And but he just disappeared. But he and, re- he, and reappeared as Julia. Yeah, as Julia Stoppelstein. Mm-hmm. I ne- uh, I never met Christoph. I've never met Julia. Uh huh. And uh, and and this which album is this? The, uh, this the, is uh, our first album called In Blood and Spirit. Yeah, and that that's like the first major production that you guys did, right? Yeah, so we did this album that came out in Czech Republic in '96, and then we did this in in uh, that came out in 2002. Uh huh. This is the, sort of the closest we've ever done to a black metal album. Uh huh. Even though I don't really look at it as a black metal album today. And and, and and you say like it wasn't like a conscious decision kind of to to be in music, but were there any like was there? I mean, and and you you say that you learned it from this experience that it wasn't really like a, a home run, you know, like you get a deal with a German, you know, it sounds really no, good. And no, then but I've heard that many times because it's you're so much into it, and you know, at that time, you know, this whole thing happened, and then uh, we're working on the next one. This is like 2003. Uh, at that time, uh, I was kind of tired of the band. I mean, we were arguing a lot. Uh, band rehearsals. Uh, we were writing an album, uh, and I already started playing with another band, Brain Police. I sort of became their second guitar player for a while. Uh, there was no label interest. We never played live. We were always arguing. So I was kind of close to quit the band. Uh, but I know I didn't. And we, we made a deal with friends of ours who was Fortgather uh, Helvides, who also have some connection with Czech Republic. Pavel from Real, Real Beyond Records has spent a lot of time with Siki from Fortgather Helvides. Anyway, so we made a deal with them uh, to record. Uh, they basically had a home studio in a basement outside of Reykjavik. In the middle of fucking nowhere. There were like cows. There was no toilet there, no running water. There were cows running in the loose in the middle of the night outside the studio. The drum kit turned to rust the whole time. Uh, it was a cracked uh, PC computer with eight fans. Because it would, there was much moist in the room. The computer was almost dying the whole time. 
And we would do this every second weekend because our friend Seogrimur, Venice's best friend, he only could do this every second weekend but when he had, didn't have his daughter. So this took like three months. So we would be driving on summer tires, drunk, every second weekend for like three months in the middle of the winter. And sometimes we would be, we would go there on Saturdays. Uh, we would work till like midnight. Drive to Reykjavik. Get, sh- get shit faced. Oh. And drive back at five in the morning. Work Sunday again. So that became masterpiece of business. You look, you're sitting under the cover here. Yeah. Um, so and how, yeah. And, how, and when you describe this, I mean, just uh, like when you describe a process like this. Mm. How much of it do you think is hurt on the album? Like, because it's not like a normal process to be out in the middle of nowhere, running around cows, no toilet, no running water. We, I know I know the studio. I've yeah. heard stories about it, that the walls broke down and there was a flood into it. And like, yeah, but cow the, shit the came is, in there once. Yeah, yeah. We, we sort of, we didn't care because the thing is with being in a band like this, you are sort of a gang brotherhood you don't call it the gang you don't call it the brotherhood but you are mm-hmm. you stick together you have the same goals to make music to make good music and you know this cons at that time of the it's that constant more discovery more discovery more discovery it's like a like chemist discovering new formulas mm. so much stuff coming in and you were always talking about each other have you heard this band have you heard this band let's try this you know it's you know it's a uh, Chemistry you cannot buy or touch. It's 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 force, and we always shared sort of the music, it's the same music agenda, and when you know, oh yeah, that's it, that's it. It's it's a it's a big force when you have a collective idea of this is cool, this is cool, this is cool. It's very hard to let it go mm-hmm. because I never went to any school to work on something. None of us did. We were always just. Working on this, mm-hmm. and I have a, for instance, I have a lot of information about who did what guitar lead on a lot, a lot of death metal albums. You know, I would have loved if I could just take a little bit out of all this database, these gigabytes that I have of you know who did what. The drum sound on this album is you know, drum sound, the bass drum sound on this album. A lot of stuff that I have. Mm. I would love to take a little bit of this. To can I get a little bit more sort of uh, business stuff into my head? Can I trade? Yeah, no, you I, delete a little bit. You yeah, mean? Yeah, I could. You know, you the you guy who's sort of clever, clever business guy. I can give you a lot of information about bass drum sounds and death metal albums before '94. If I can know a little bit more of a financial thing, yeah, I wouldn't mind. Mm. It'd be good for me. You know. Yeah, but it would be bad for your music. Sure, sure, that's right. Because in order to take something somewhere, mm. you have to know where it's been. Mm. So, you're always gathering information. Mm. I don't think anyone could have done uh, the Cold album except mm. us four. Mm. Because we knew what I thought was cool. We knew what was cool to mix. They're mixing a lot of weird stuff there. Ennio mm. Morricone with Cranes, UK indie band with, you know, a lot of stuff. Yeah, I remember when I listened to this album, the first kind of non-black metal album, Masterpiece of Business, 
I, I walked from my home in Vinohrati in Prague to Karlin, where my office was and still is. And uh, it's about uh, <laughs> 25 minutes walk. And I, 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 I was listening to this on, a, on an iPod, you know, like mm-hmm. the old, old school. And, uh, and it was crazy because I remember when I got to work, I had heard two songs in 25 minutes. Yeah, that would be 29 minutes, the first sort of songs. Yeah, yeah and, uh, and that was... Um, and then, and they were very kind of melodic, and, and and yeah, it was a unique. I felt that it was a unique, unique music style in 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 some sense, which then, yeah, kind of brings me back to you know, like was there an idol? If you if you would look at the musician, which kind of had a, an impact on you. I mean, if I listen to your music, I can't place it anywhere. You know, I I, I couldn't tell. I mean, I can hear bits and pieces here and there, but I can't place it. Uh, when I see you on stage, I can see certain people, but. Uh, any idols? Idols. Role models. Idols. Mm. Sure. I mean, in the beginning, it was you know the Norwegians, uh, you know, immortal and Bursum and Dark Throne and. But very early on, we sort of we're opening, we're open for sort of more spiritual bands. If it's you know, the guides were a lot into sort of Godspeed you Black Emperor spiritualized and I would be more sort of into maybe Neil Young or we would all listen to Pink Floyd and Sigurdos and Air a lot of the French band Air mm-hmm. so uh, we were always very open to lots of doing something new I think there's a lot of Icelandic mentality I think it comes from the 80s I think I think there's some connection in us but you know Around the Sugar Cubes area, Sugar Cubes sort of formed from a punk band and a weird indie band, and they become the Sugar Cubes. And for those who don't know the Sugar Cubes, that's that's, that's Björk, 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 Björk's, Björk's, band. Björk's yeah. old band. So, yeah. and you know, uh, so it's something weird. I think Icelanders a bit weird uh, sort of mentality. So I think it's a. Uh, and then of course we would all love Ennio Morricone. We would, you know, watch Spaghetti Westerns and a lot of British bands, uh, Fields of the Nephilim, The Mission, Sister of Mercy, a lot of goth sort of bands that would would be influenced by Joy Division, Bowie, The mm. Cure. Mm. So even though we were sort of never direct, Joy Division and Cure, I mean, I love those bands, but they weren't, never, they were never really our first bands. So, sort mm-hmm. of, but those bands, sort of the Cure, Joy Division, and I would say Bowie's before that, because I'm pretty sure those guys love Bowie. Uh, they were sort of responsible for the British goth rock bands, the, the, the Sisters and the Nephilims and the Mission. And we would idolize them. So, yeah. we would be playing British goth. I remember our ex bass player, Heldor, he came from England in '95. And he brought some albums with him that he said he was in a record store and the guy would not allow him outside of the store unless he bought this album. Haltor's like, oh, fine, I'll buy it. Never listen to it, you fucker. Um, so that was Fields of the Nephilim. And he came to us, uh, to Iceland with us, and we were just, I mean, me and Gummi would just listen to Immortal and, you know, Entombed or Dark Throne. And we sort of fell in love with that, British goth. So we were already mixing British goth with black metal and you know, so much has happened since. But uh, how? So, like this, you make that first album, and uh, 
you didn't have a label for that one, right? Or or who who? Well, first album, if you consider, I always yeah, I consider after the black metal. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, yeah. So we do we, we do we we go to this uh, countryside and do this. We made this deal with friends of ours. Can we borrow your studio to make an album? Hmm. If we get a record deal, we'll pay you. If we don't, we can't pay you. And they said, fine. So we record an album. Uh, so during the winter. And we make a three-song promo. And uh, we started sending the promo. You know, we had homemade promos, lots of labels, and no interest. Just, you know, kind of very low point for the band. This is the 2003, four. And no label interest. And uh, I remember a friend of mine called Matt McNearney. He's been in uh, Code. He's been in uh, he's been in uh, Hex Wexel and Grave Pleasures and Beast Milk and a lot of bands. Anyway, Matt's band Code was signed to Spine Farm, a Spike Farm at that time. So, and I sent it to Matt because we're sort of friends and. Matt basically emails Sammy from Spine Farm and says, if you don't sign this band, someone else will, and it's going to be your loss. And the funny story is, we had already sent them CD. They never fucking listened to it. And it wasn't until our friend Matt told them, you have to listen to this. So, a month later, we are playing this gig... Uh, in Christiania, Lopin, and he flew over, saw this weirdos, he called us, fuck, look like weirdos, look at this weirdos with flower, all the flower and the, you know, weird sunglasses, and come and trash the drum kit, and the sound guy was mad, running after him, come didn't give a fuck, and Sammy thought it was so cool, man, he trashed the drum kit, and didn't give a fuck, so he signed us there, mm-hmm. he basically signed us in, Christiania uh-huh. to the label so that's an, then another time we are uh, signed to a Finnish label two albums and uh, you know Masterpiece of Business comes out we could pay our friends a little bit money and then of course we did the Cold album around that time we had thought about Gummi was studying in England uh, in London and Svavar was also living in London I was about to go to Glasgow for school so we were thinking about relocating the band to the UK. To the UK. It made it made a lot of sense, and we had already started uh, rehearsing up a uh, session guitar player. Hmm. Anyway, I remember Spine Farm had uh, sort of had offices in England at that time, and I remember me and Gummy, we both went f- to uh, the Spine Farm offices in England, and it's this huge because uh, Spine Farm at that time were owned by Universal. So we went to the Universal building hmm. in London. And it's a huge fucking building. And we were like, oh shit. It, it felt like the story of Anvil. When Anvil, the guys from Anvil, yeah. are at Sony Records. And it's just like, you're like, oh, it's so embarrassing. So it, I felt like a couple of guys from the Breitholt going to Universal building in London to a meeting. We were like, this is it, dude. We made it. Jackpot. We go to a meeting and we meet some... Anyway, 
fast forward, they promised us Gibson endorsement, Marshall endorsement, you're gonna tour with Fields of the Nephilim, you're gonna tour with this, you're gonna do this. We were like, fuck yeah, man. Bring it on, bitch. <laughs> nothing. Nothing happened. N- nothing. And a year later, or if it was a year later, I remember we were touring with a band called Swallow the Sun. We were at the Camden Underworld in Camden, in London. Uh, me and Gummy are backstage, and the same guy, I can't remember his name. It's an old sort of industry guy from England. The same guy walks into the room, talking to Swallow the Sun, how great they were, and how you know they were going to change the world, and do all this stuff together. I'm like, you're fucking shitting me, you cunt. So, you know. So... But what? But so so. But you were signed with those the, this label. Like yeah, but the they did sub-lab- nothing sub-label, right? for us. They did yeah. nothing for us, and so we never liked this label. And then we figured out when we wanted to leave, because this is the industry stuff. Industry stuff is basically grown-up men giving candy to children. You want a lollipop? Just take it. <laughs> you want it. Take it. Take it. It's really good. And you, as a kid, what do you do? You yes. Take it. Yes, yeah. I want a lollipop. That's what we did. A lot of bands, most bands, have taken this fucking lollipop. The lollipop, of course, is a terrible contract. Because at that time, there's no label interest. We had nothing to lose. Just something then... At that time, the label was really cool. We went to Finland. There was an old bank vault. It was like 20, 30 people were working there. It's like posters everywhere. It's really cool. One day, Universal buys it. Everybody's fired. They don't mm. give a shit about us. Uh, so we are treated like shit. Uh, and they say, we own another album. And we're like, fuck, we don't want to work with you again. So we, we are on our way to do a fake album. It's just... Let's just do a fake album. We'll write it next weekend, send in the master. Fuck it. We'll just tell all the fans it's a fake album. Just to get loose. Um, we tried to talk someone, no, they didn't. But then all of a sudden, a new, a new guy is the boss of the label called Temu. I knew Temu. Temu was a friend from Finland. I basically wrote Temu and said, hey Temu, congrats on the new, new, uh, new job. We want to leave. Can we leave? He said, Well, if you want to leave, well, here we go. But I want to keep you, but if you want to leave, fine. So, like, thank you, goodbye. So, we left Spine Farm. Hmm. Uh, you know, that was, of course, when we entered Spine Farm, I thought, again, this is it. Hmm. So, it's, you know, and this is like, I don't know, man, 10 years into our career or something. <laughs> So, you know, it's always been like this. And and at this time, I mean, and during the whole time, do you do you work also? Like, or I mean, the, the, I mean, are you full time musician already then? Or no, or? no, no. This is like, I mean, two uh, thousand. Most of these years, around two thousand to two thousand seven or something, most of these years, commits uh, a parking meter officer. Shavar is working in a Mexican restaurant, uh, and I'm working at Reykjavik Airport. Mm-hmm. Always. Uh, then, of course, uh, you know, mid 2000 something, uh, 
Gummi moves to, uh, to school to London. Svavar goes to work in England, chasing his Greek girlfriend. Uh, and I go to school in uh, in Glasgow. Uh-huh. So we've always been working, and so but but uh, but was there like um, I mean during 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 this period? I mean, how how do you? Is it, is it like a, is it like a rock and roll lifestyle? I mean, is there a lot of partying and sure, of course. And, and and how do you how do you keep going when you don't really necessarily feel because at this stage in your career it's not really necessarily going very well. You know, the the first record label kind of goes bankrupt. The second one kind of dumps you. How did that you know affect the band? <laughs> there was no money in it anyway, so there wasn't. We weren't really losing anything. Mm-hmm. You just live on daily basis. I mean. You find a new job, and but you know the the, the band didn't cost that much. Mm-hmm. We weren't doing a lot of touring. We weren't using fancy studios. Well, no, not at that. But first time we sort of used a fancy studio was the Curled album, which we got money from Spine from. But that was just spent straight in the studio. Um, so the band didn't cost that much, and we were never. I mean, the first proper tour we did was like 2008 or nine. I don't remember. So before that, it was just maybe one weekend or, you know, we were just, mm-hmm. it was most like a hobby. Yeah. Because you, if, if, if you do 200 shows a year, which is like the most we've done, it's not a hobby. You don't play 200 shows a year if you're a hobby. Mm-hmm. Artist, so. and that—that's what happens there. Two thousand six to eight, you know, it kind of transforms. You, you, you make that album, Cult, which is one of the kind of the, I would say, like a breakthrough. Cult is, uh, yeah, Cult is recorded uh, December two thousand seven mm-hmm. in uh, Gothenburg. So we go there. Uh, uh, I remember writing it. We are writing that album summer of <laughs> summer of two thousand seven. Uh, on the top of uh, was a porn store in Kobovur. I think the guy was just probably selling more cocaine than dildos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were rehearsing above the porn store uh, sort of summer of 2007. There's no windows to, to be open. Just really fucking warm. Then we go to... Uh, uh, Gothenburg in December we there for like three weeks and the album sort of then 2008 you don't do much there's a lot of delays for mixing and mastering and blah 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 uh, so there's no really proper tour but then not much is happening there really I mean we're doing some festivals but we still just have not one job <laughs> So uh, not much is really happening until then. Not not until when we're doing. I think when we were doing next album, which of course is Svarte Santar. At that time, we are all on unemployment benefits. Uh huh. All of us, except Sauer was working in the aluminium factory, so he just showed up once in a while. So we were just on unemployment on unemployment benefits. Sponsored, sponsored by the government. Yeah, and 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 that that's when you kind of start touring, you know, like and 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 that's like you know you get into a bus, 
the four of you in the band and uh you know, you have a guy driving the bus, you have a mixer, you have a manager on the road with you. Uh, yeah. how, how is this life, you know? How, how? I mean, Because coming from, from where you came, you know, from, from Iceland, it's, we're not used to this, you know? This is not like the Icelandic way. No, but it's... Uh, it's today is 2020. It's way easier to do it today than it was like in 2005. Um, well, funny enough... The first tour we did, proper tour, uh, well, we weren't really a new band, but it was a Nightliner tour. A Nightliner is a double-decker bus where you sleep and sleep in the bunks above. Um, but, you know, there's no money in it. Uh, not a lot of people just trying not to lose money. Uh, it's a little bit different today. I mean, uh, we have we can sort of pick more what, where, where to go. But... Proper touring didn't really start. I remember after the... We did some touring, you know, a lot of festivals after Svarte Sandar, but we are making Ota in 2013. Mm. Uh, so we're riding in 2013. Out of partying 2013 and 12. And 11 and 10. Uh, but 2013, after that, we sort of start touring a lot. And I remember it was around that time, 2014, 15, that we did 200 shows in one year. Mm. And that's a lot. But did you make money off that? I mean, did that make no, you... No, I remember... Uh, I remember going to... Well, maybe one, maybe one of them or something. But I remember... Going to a well because you're investing. Mm. I remember we're doing one tour like a month in Europe. Sure, we get some money for it, not a lot, but we would fly to from Lisbon after being in a bus for a month to New Jersey to be in a van for a month, making no money. Everything that comes in. Goes into rent gear, rent the van, pay gas, pay staff. Uh, because, you know, you have staff. You have a sound guy, you have a light guy, you have a merch person, you have a driver. Hmm. Management. So there's like four or five people that need salaries. Uh, so, because we are the owners of the brand, we are investing in ourselves. So we take pay cut in getting no money. Hmm. It's kind of weird. We couldn't today. It's kind of weird going to America in a van for a month, coming home with nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember we went once with a session drummer. I mean, Ari was playing with us. I mean, we had sound guy. We were like three band members with five employees. And at the end of the tour, every guy got paid. Except, except you. The three, except yeah. the three band members. It's like, this is kind of weird. Because we've been in a month on a bus getting nothing. And you don't really do this. Hey, babe, I'm going on the tour with boys. Uh, it's going to be a bit tough because, you know, I won't be earning a dime. You know, so now we all have kids or wives on mortgages. So you can't do this today. But, but when you were at this, I mean, like, I guess there must have been a lot of things to, like... 
let's say, I mean, imagine four four guys that have known each other for like 10, 15 years, maybe even longer, some of you, but um, stuck in a bus, driving around for maybe 30, 40 days, getting wasted. Eight eight hours a day. Getting wasted every night, right? Yeah. How did that develop? Like the party part, you know, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But the thing is, it ha- if in order to do this without the money, it has to be fun. Mm. It has to be fun. Uh, being on a bus, getting no money for it, and it's boring. It's basically annoying, unpleasant, uh, even toxic. There's no price. There's no money that's going to sort of... Being on a bus... I mean, imagine you have had girlfriends. Let's say you have ten girlfriends. I don't know. I'm just saying you have ten, and let's take three of the most boring ones. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna send you on a bus with them, three of them, for a month, in a van. How's that gonna go? Yeah, you're not gonna get paid for it. We're just gonna be there. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds great, right? Yeah. yeah, that's the story about being in a band. When the morale is gone, because mm. the morale morale is the carrot. Mm. We are one, a team, doing it for something greater good later, mm. or having fun now, enjoying mm. this, because we're not gaining anything financial for it. So, uh, but around this is always also, I guess, alcohol and substances and stuff like that. I mean, like you know, it's a sure, sure. It's a, it's a, it's a part that all of us, you know, that are not rock stars like you, yeah. we. This is what we think about, and this is what is being glorified: is the, the ability to do yeah, whatever no, you want, the no, girls and whatever yeah, you know. But no one comes out of um, alcohol or drug abuse a winner, and not not everybody's gonna come out of it happy. No, no, but they Friends. don't show us that all no, the no, time. No, no, of know? course, but that's the truth. Yeah. So of course it's uh, weird when uh, if this happens over a long time. Of course, when you spend so much time together, you sort of forget that hey. That has to be fun. It has to be communication. has to be good spirits, you know, fix stuff. Instead of just one apple is rotten, it just, it's like a fucking cancer. It just gets bigger. And when people have different ideas, what's fun? Some people like to snort drugs. Some people like to do acid. Some people like to just drink coffee or chain smoke cigarettes everywhere. Some people hate cigarettes. Some people want to stay up at night. Some people want to sleep at night. So... It's a lot of moving targets. Yeah, you're in all in a fucking van together. Yeah. So, a lot of things can go wrong. Mm. I mean, imagine this. Putting young men, 10 to 20 of them, in their 20s or early 30s, on a bus together for a month, drinking and doing drugs. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> but what went wrong? I mean, like, you you, you did this. I, I, you know, I, I know you before you got sober and after you got sober. Yeah. So, I mean, how, you know, how, how was it during the time when you were, you know, drinking and partying? What, how big part of, of the tour was that? Like, I rem- you know, it's just, it gets out of hand. I mean, uh, it, you know, when I'm 20, it was fine, I guess, you know. But, you know, I see it differently as 43. It wasn't fine that I would just be alone at the bar. Spending all my money on beer till the bar closed, trying to find an after party to drink more beer 
feeling alone all the time instead of being home with my girlfriend. It's kind of weird, right? I didn't think it was weird then because I think it was what's the man supposed to do or have the idea of fun. Today, it's not the idea of fun for me. Uh, at some point, which is, in, of course, uh, invisible, uh, it goes wrong. I mean, remember, we're playing a show in Stuttgart and I'm still awake at 11 in the morning. Alone. Awake. And there's like a sound check in two hours. And my voice is gone. And I'm just sick. I'm really sick. And I didn't have the fucking flu. And then the morale comes. Of course. You're letting yourself down. And everybody else is like... What? You know. Judging you. Well, they're entitled to. But you don't feel like... Having someone pointing at you. What the fuck are you doing, man? Like, fuck you too, man. You've done this before. You remember like four years ago? You did... Mm. You know. So, all this stuff... Um, you know, I, I never... We used to, we used to, this is the funny thing. Is we used to tour like supporting bands or doing festivals. Most like supporting bands. Playing like 50 minutes a night. Four songs. Three, four songs. Um... And I always wondered why my voice was so fucked. It wasn't doing speed or drinking a liter of Jack Daniels or chain smoking Lucky Strike. It wasn't or singing along with all the Guns N' Roses parties till seven in the morning. It wasn't that. But I was look, looking. Why is it? It can't be. This is the thing that I mentioned. But what is it? Why does this motherfucker not not have a problem with his voice? Why is it only me? You know, as a 43-year-old... Now you know. I know, I sort of know. Because today, I could go on a tour for six weeks, sing two hours a night without any problems. Mm. That's the difference. Yeah. And I warm up before shows. I even stretch before shows. Yeah, I've seen you do push-ups. Yeah, so... If I would have seen myself as the 25, 30 year old me doing fucking push ups, breathing exercises <laughs> before shows, I would have puked a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit puked in my mouth. In the, in the throat. Yeah. But I, 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 I remember once you told me, like, uh, um, that after you got sober, then you actually. Well, before you got sober, you got like um, you've been traveling more than most uh, people that even are in the tourist business would travel. But uh, but you told me that after you got sober, you started seeing the world. Before yeah. that, it was everything was about finding a party, you yeah, know, finding yeah. something. It's true. Uh, I remember. Uh, well, some things I don't remember. Um, you you. <laughs> There's so much stuff I could say about this. Just um, say whatever you want. Yeah. Um, it's just been a lot of eye-opener. Um, I notice more what's going on in the audience. Sort of, uh, I'm, I'm conscious about it. And uh, if something is going on, if someone is, you know, crying or something is wrong, or sort of, uh, it's, uh, I enjoy it more. Hmm. It's, uh, and frankly, today... 
at the age of 43, if I would go to a gig and sing a singer in a band, hammer drunk, you know, babbling between songs or being out of pits or not giving a fuck, I'm like, give me my money back, you bitch. You know, it, the, the point, the part of me think, that guy is amazing, man. Just doesn't give a fuck. He's hammered drunk. I used to think like this. I did. And you probably did as well. Mm. Today I think like, nah, man, that's, I ain't having this shit. It's just, it's changed. Mm. This sort of living for the recklessness. It changed. I mm. mean, I even had a child five months ago. And I became very pregnant. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. I became very pregnant. Uh, in order to say we became pregnant. Because I just would cry. I would be very emotional. And I didn't even have the child in me. So this recklessness, it's it's not there, man. Now, I remember talking about this, having a child, how it changes people. I remember... Uh, in the Formula One that Michael Schumacher or someone said that uh, the worst thing a Formula One driver does is to have a child because then all of a sudden the life that you're living actually matters. Is yeah. that the same feeling that you felt with this? That, that I, I know what you mean. Of course, you're right. But I've only had a child for five and a half months. But I've been sober for almost seven years. So that changed a lot. Uh, just in order to be there for my friends... Uh, having the patience to talk to other people. Uh, if I can... A lot of people ask me, hey man, I'm suffering from this. I'm struggling with this. Do you have any advice? And Sometimes it's very hard because a person would come up to me and say, uh, I don't want to live anymore. I tried to kill myself last weekend for the fourth time. What can I do? And I'm like, it's like 300 people waiting for me here. I wish I could talk to you for four hours, but I can't. Mm -hmm. I'm not in the position now. It's kind of hard. But have you been in that place yourself? Have you ever felt like that? Um, sure, I've been depressed, filled with anxiety. I haven't really been suicidal. Uh, but if, you know, I guess when you've when you've been depressed, and I think I think suicidal thoughts is some sort of a few steps. Uh, let's just say. The higher the number it's, you would end it. Hmm. I've probably been, in, you know, for step one. But uh, I've never... Because I have friends uh, that have done it and succeeded. I have friends who've done it and not succeeded. I've never really gone there. Hmm. Uh, but I think when you have been dealing with uh, depression and, and anxiety, this all, this all holds in hands. If you have anxiety and depression it's often related to alcoholism or addiction and i have friends who uh tell me that they always feel anxiety and depression and i'm like but you still drink right yeah it's i'm not yeah. i don't have a drinking problem i just all oh, this depression and anxiety i'm like yeah yeah they're looking for the solution in yeah the wrong place. i mean you know it's just, just like should i Change to Carlsberg from Budweiser. Will my... <laughs> to reduce my depression. Yeah. <laughs> That's always the question, what they're asking themselves. Yeah. Just uh, don't do vodka, do, do cognac. Yeah. It's better for your anxiety. Yeah. That's, you know, the thing. And, I, you know, 
there's always the same answer. Yeah, it happens to me like uh, once every year or something that I <clears throat> I drink myself to a state where I need to, but where I get sick, you know, that I have to throw up or something. And it's it's a funny thing because for some reason my father seems to be around almost all the time when I'm sick like that or having a very bad hangover. And it's the same answer that I give him all the time. Yeah, I must have eaten something bad last night. It's not the liter of vodka that I drank. I must have eaten something bad. So yeah. yeah. I mean, I can tell you a story. A, a f- f- couple of friends of mine. Uh, you probably know these guys, but I'm not going to say the names now. Uh, they were in uh, they were in Berlin. Uh, There's a few days before they met us. They came to meet us when we were playing Wacken. Uh, 2010. Wacken is the biggest metal yeah, festival. Yeah, Wacken is the b- biggest metal festival in the world. Anyway, so they are in Berlin and. Uh, they they're they're scoring some coke, and they you know through some uh, context they get some coke and they're in their hotel room and drinking Jack and snorting coke and it's kind of weird you know because you know they're both sort of been doing drugs for years and they know their stuff but uh, all of a sudden one of them gets nosebleed and the other ones get sort of diarrhea and headache and sweaty and they're like oh it's kind of gotta be a new brand or something so just take a little bit more. So, so the body will get used to it. <laughs> so they so just start doing a lot of coke, you know, snorting it like maniacs. And the headache just doesn't go away and just, just puking or uh, diarrhea and sweaty and all that stuff that comes with it. And then, of course, afterward, they found it was mixed with heroin. No. Yeah. Because the body was just rejecting it. But the thing is, then on the Monday... No, the day after. One of them comes and said, Fucking hell, man. That kebab I had yesterday, it fucked me over, man. <laughs> yeah, the, the answer is always something else. And he wasn't even joking. But maybe it was the fucking heroin he was snorting, you fucking idiot. Yeah. But how? I mean, but what was your low point? I mean, what was the kind of... Was there a turning point when you said, Okay, that's enough. No more partying. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, it's kind of funny we're in here. Uh, you know... Uh, in 2013, I'm... Uh, uh, we in here, when Atis says in here, we're in his 120-year-old yeah, yeah, house in the center of Reykjavik. Yeah, yeah. We're in my uh, apartment in the one, yeah, 101 Reykjavik. Um, so, December 2013, I'm uh, in Harpa, dressed in chainmail, like a Viking chainmail. Um Harpa is the music, music house in Reykjavik. Music, yeah. music house is like the Sydney Opera House of Iceland. Yeah. And Skalmult, the band Skalmult, is like their metal band. They're playing with the symphony orchestra. And I'm there singing one song with them. Uh, and, um, and uh, yeah, so I'm there backstage waiting for my cue, drinking a lot of uh, whiskey, snorting speed. Um, and then I'm like ready and I you know go on the stage and singing it's just you know 1500 people and I'm dressed in chain mail as a conductor in front of me and dressed in you know suits and anyway so I do that stuff uh, then I went straight to the bar to drink more uh, find some girl that I've never seen before go with her into the toilet do stuff that I shouldn't have been doing. Then I go home to my girlfriend. Mm. And 
this wasn't the first time I've done stuff like this. I just, you sort of forget it. You're really drunk and you sort of, oh, fuck, what do I do? What do I do? And it sort of increases this being um, unfaithful or unloyal. It sort of increases. You got away with 2.7. I can go to 4.8 next time. It sort mm-hmm. of, it, it increases. Then just a few days later, uh, my girlfriend asked me, <clears throat> so what were you doing in the toilet at Dylan uh, last Saturday? I'm like, what? Uh, nothing. Oh, really? No, that's not what I heard. She said, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, I heard you were with someone. So she knew almost everything. It's like she had seen a fucking camera. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how the fuck does she want? How can I get out of this? So I started lying. No, lie, 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 lie. I don't like lying. And it's because I don't, I don't really lie. So it's very hard for me to sort of constantly lie. But I'm doing it and she knows everything. And I'm like trying to get away with it. Just lying more, lying more. And until I just couldn't lie more. I just I cracked down. Just because it just gets to you. I guess I'm not, you know, that, that, I couldn't lie more. So in order for uh, she's, you know, we're standing here in the apartment. She's gonna leave me, and we're both crying. And you know, I'm an idiot. I'm an asshole, and blah blah blah. I've destroyed her life, and all the dreams we had together, and blah, blah, all this sort of stuff. And uh, at this time, I thought of what can I do? I mean, you know, I'll do anything to try to get her to forgive me. But she said, I have to leave you. I mean, I have to. Hmm. You realize I have to leave you. I'm like, please don't leave me. I'm crying here. Uh, so I basically uh, figure out I'll call someone to try to get some help because you realized that I, this I, was I, the I realized I know this was my drinking that mm-hmm. was doing this mm-hmm. because I was you know so and she had been inclining that I was an alcoholic for years and I was like me no I'm in a rock band baby I have to drink whiskey it's, it's sort of you know what rock stars do man don't you understand mm-hmm. you know, don't you uh, what part do you don't you understand about that that was me she didn't agree with me and she left and I got to be sober so that's um, and we're good friends today mm. but I, I hated her especially the, the one you know the point is the girl that I went into the toilet with, she had a friend. She told her friend. It's like a 23-year-old girl or something. Oh, I was doing this and this with the singer in this star, band. Yeah. And, and just, you know, three persons away was my girlfriend. And she yeah. got all, everything that happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I hated that girl who squealed me. Mm. Fucking bitch. She destroyed my life. I had to quit drinking for this shit. Mm-hmm. You fucking cunt. Today I'll hug her in the street. Yeah. So we're friends today. Mm. Um, but how did this like? How how does this um, affect your music? Like you know, do you compose music differently, or or, or you know, like and, and and I guess because I think the whole band kind of went on the wagon. I mean, like. The guys that are in the band with you now, yeah, you, the yeah. one one guy left and another one joined. But but the guys are kind of they have a 
less of a eccentric lifestyle. Yeah, but we, we never wrote drunk. We never rehearsed drunk. We uh-huh. just performed a little bit drunk. Okay. You know, after the show, we would get wasted. So our music was never written under the influence of alcoholic bliss or some... But it was written in the depression that follows the alcoholic bliss. Sure, sure. But uh, not really, though, because sort of when I've been in my worst states of depression, I don't write anything. Uh-huh. It's not until I stand up again and I can look in the mirror in hindsight or what happened, how I felt, then I can write. Mm-hmm. It's like when I'm depressed, I'm just lying there, mm-hmm. you know, figure of speech. It's not until I stand back up and like, oh fucking hell, what was that? I can write that. Uh, sure, uh, Swavar had been sober for many years. Mm. I mean, you know, scenario. Swavar was sober for six, seven years in the band, and I remember the day we. <laughs> this is absurd. When he got drunk for the first time, we were in a field in Germany, and he's like, was took him, took him like a minute to find some guy with amphetamine, or just you just went all into it. Uh, we are in a hotel somewhere in Germany. I'm not in the room. I'm with some girl in another room. Gummi and Swavar are fooling around with a video camera in the middle of the night. Swavar is passed out. And all of a sudden, they hear some sound. Then it's Swavar lying on his back, puking, passed out. So he was basically suffocating in his own vomit, mm. in his bed, next to them. It's like a, uh, it's like a ho- youth hostile stuff. There was three beds in the room. And they had a fucking video camera of him puking, asleep. <laughs> So instead of helping, I mean... Eventually- yeah, of, of course, he's alive, and they sort of, when they saw it, mm-hmm. they heard the puke coming. So this is like a Bon Scott yeah. moment. Yeah, and so uh, I think on the video camera it shows Grinko is still recording. I think Gummi took him up, because everything was covered in puke. He took him basically by the throat, holding him, and he puts one arm into the shower... And the other arm turned the cold water. So uh-huh. Swavar wakes up all in, the in the shower in ice cold water, screaming like he was being killed. And he stopped drinking again after this. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> That's not what That's not his lowest point. No, 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 no. But uh, but but uh, so, so but the band kind of sobered up. I mean, like I, I I in the past few years I haven't seen you guys. None of you guys drink. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe so, seen yeah. Grinko, the guitar players, sure, he, have yeah, a one or two beers. Yeah. But uh, but how has this affected the, the 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 like kind of the chemistry and the the um, creativity and so on? Uh, it's good. It's good. Uh, it, it there was never never a point that you know let's all do this. Uh, you know, it never. I quit drinking there. You know, late 2013. I think Swavar quit the year after. Uh, then Hartgrimer came into the band, and some you know five six years later, he quit drinking. I mean, he's been a sexaholic, weed smoker. He's done everything. Mm. So uh, 
he just doesn't drink to them. He has two kids and a wife. Mm. Uh, if you have two kids and a wife, you can't really be doing drugs, you fucking idiot. Mm. It's not going to work out. Um, Gringo drinks. Uh, and we are all very open about sort of anxiety, depression, drinking stuff. We're sort of over it. I mean, we really, really like going to festivals and play a big show together. Mm. We fucking like I love it. And then we just go to the hotel. And it used to be that used to be your biggest problem was to go to the hotel before the airport to to picking up the bag that was in the hotel. You'd never touch the bat. Now you sort of actually get maybe four hours of sleep instead of no sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get to see stuff. I mean, in the in some of the cities see, yeah, I and mean, I, you know, first time I was in LA sober, I always dreamt about going to LA to party. So our, our bus is parked on Sunset Strip, uh, and I'm like, I wake up, I'm in Los Angeles, man. I've been dreaming to come here since I was like ten. Uh, it was Christmas, so I woke up early. The city was almost asleep. Uh, I put my running shoes on. I, ca- I carry them with me in case of emergency. Uh, so you know, this was one of the days that today I'm gonna go running. What kind of emergency is that? No, I'm just saying. Uh, in case you feel an instant need to run. Yeah, if I, yeah, if I really want to do it, I yeah. have them. Okay. So uh, I go running. Just putting on running shoes and go run in uh, the sort of residency area around Sunset Strip. I was just like this American Christmas decorations, kind of like ridiculously. It's just so cool and big, and it was just. And same thing on the same tour. I was in Elko in Nevada. No one knows Elko, Nevada. It's it's the old wild wild west. I went running there, mm. and I went running in New York around the Hudson. Mm. I never saw anything. So instead of seeing toilets in clubs, you see the places that you actually visit. I've been to San Francisco twice. Mm. I've seen nothing. Mm. I, I never I saw I, nothing. I, I arrived in darkness, played a gig. Fuck off. Mm. Uh, so you know, it's uh, you get to. Uh, experience stuff and mm. go you know wake up early or not sp- or, or, or spending all the money you get on stupid things mm. we're talking about money a little bit like so so i guess that in this business as you have described it i mean the money is not necessarily in the touring itself or the revenue from the from the ticket sales or or or, or from selling albums and stuff like this but uh from what I've heard, it's a lot about the merchandising and, and, and you know, the T-shirts and the, album, the vinyl albums and the stuff that you're selling in the concerts. So is that, is that, does that, like, make you enough money so you can kind of make this your profession as you have, have chosen to do? Or, or, I mean, you live here in a decent house. I mean, Yeah, like, I mean, uh, I've, I've owned this apartment um, since 2003. Yeah. It's 17 years and I don't own it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's taken me 17 years not to be able to pay half of it. So, um, yeah, but that's the loan system. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying uh, so. Yeah, but, uh, um, but you don't have a private jet or a, or a Rolls Royce. No, Rolls. no, I'm, I'm saying if since, you know, no one buys music today. So if I want to make money out of 
being a musician. You have to be play live all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can be, you know, with good planning, doing A and B market in Europe. Each tour can be like six weeks, but six week tour is a really long tour. People go crazy after week four. Mm. Week five is tough. Week six is you just don't want to get out of this fucking bus. Then you come home, you can maybe do another tour. Um, you can, and then, uh, so it's, uh, then you can go tour South America a month later, and then you can go to summer festivals. But the thing is, uh, not everyone is able to do this. Some people are single parents, some have obligations, and it's no trust in this, you know. That's like, oh, we're going to go to South America. It's an investment tour for the band, so there's no money on it. And it's very natural for me or anyone else to say, I can't, I have a job, and I have the steady income. I can't be going to South America for a month, coming nothing home. So we're there. If we go to Europe and do the major cities for four weeks, sure, we'll get money, we'll get, yeah, but not enough cover expenses for the next four months mm-hmm. so not. you need to get back on the road or always have yeah. always back on the road back on the road back on the road i mean no one comes home from a tour and buys himself a new car mm. usually for years it was that um i would get behind on paying on my house and oh like three four months uh and then i would go tour and i'll settle down to zero mm-hmm for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best thing, of course, is to have uh, jobs that you sort of have a good understanding with your boss. Or, for example, Hatgrimmer has had the same job for, I don't know, 10 years? He's, mm-hmm. a, he's a forester. So he's had a, the same job for 10 years. I've had a lot of jobs the last few years. I have a really cool job now. Uh but I could only have taken the job if it, the band wasn't touring because I had to. For the next six months, I'm just working almost every day. What what job is that now? I'm I'm a sound engineer on a set in the movie business. And I think you're recording the third season of a of a some TV show called Trapped in English. It's called yeah. Different in Iceland, and it's it's huge on Netflix. I, I I've seen the first two seasons. It's an Icelandic series, but. Uh, they have it available in Netflix around Europe. It's it's great stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you're a sound engineer there. There. Yeah, yeah. But but a little bit. Um, so you say that like okay, you can go out on a four week or six week tour and you can make some money if you go to the major Euro- European cities where you have a big following and so on. <gasps> but how how big do you need to be in terms of let's say I don't know number of people that come to the concert? How big does the venue have to be so that that you know, you are in a different category, let's say. Let's say... Just so that people understand. Let's say Sigurdos, maybe? 15, 20, 15 to 30,000? Mm-hmm. If you do a tour with um, 10 to 30,000 a day, sure. Then you are got the suite in the hotel and you're flying or... Yeah, or but I think most bands today uh, do a tour at... Uh, well, tour, uh, tour bus. It's... Uh, the thing is, big bands, Metallica, Guns N' Roses or something, 
they would do a show, have a day off between, or sometimes they have two days off between. Or table, yeah. So it's different. So then you just stay at hotel for two nights. If we go on tour, it's usually every night. Every night for six weeks in a row, sleeping on a bus. Mm-hmm. So because it costs fifteen hundred euros for the bus one day. Mm-hmm. So we cannot afford to have a bus parked in a park somewhere. But no one's sleeping in it just because you want to sleep in a fucking hotel. Yeah. And and you need to get to this level, like 10,000 people or something. It's like so that... si- si- I mean, take Siguros, guys. Yeah. They, they can do that, yeah. But we can get like 1,000 people. Uh, we've been doing some tours on our own now. Mm. So it's very easy to see that you're not riding on someone else's tail. So we can get like, th- let's say, 1,000 people a day. Mm-hmm. This is fine. This, yeah. is, this is really good. Uh, so that's good. But uh, let's say we would be doing 5,000 people a night. I would have a new car here outside. Mm-hmm. I would have probably paid this house. Okay. Uh, just to kind of, it's interesting to kind of understand the perspective because I think that 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 from the outside, I remember I went to see, and, and when I lived in Copenhagen, I went to see Ian Brown from Stone Roses. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I mean, he's actually for me one of the best kept secrets of music. But uh, because I like his music, and I yeah. think most people do, but they haven't really heard about him. But I, I kind of thought, okay, he was in Stone Roses. That was a huge band, and he played in the, played in the same place as you guys played. Lop and Christiania. Yeah. No, in Pumpehuset. Pumpehuset. In, in, yeah, yeah. Uh, in, yeah, yeah. in Copenhagen, in downtown Copenhagen. It's a tiny little venue, and it wasn't even full. And then the bus was waiting outside, and I was like, "What the fuck? This guy is still on the bus, you know?" Like it's um, yeah. But that, I mean, for instance, that's the trick. A bus is not really a bus. Um, if you were in Motorhead and you would have the bus, you would be on a bus, except you would be only one sleeping on the bus. Mm-hmm. Ian Brown could be on the bus with one bed in it, or two, because. If you're going to have the whole top floor for yourself, that's a luxury. Uh-huh. The bus I'm sleeping in, there's 16 people sleeping on the up floor. It's like Chinese telephone booths yeah. lying down. That's crazy stuff. But anyway, uh, yeah, so but what you described actually, like, so you, you guys have made... Um, um, yeah, I fucked this up a little bit. But anyway, but that's fine. Made what? So you guys have made what? You've made uh, one, two, seven. three, four, yeah, seven albums. Mm. Um, and this one that is coming out now is your fourth sober album, right? No, yes, third sober sort of album. My, yeah, sort of my sobriety album first was to be Ota. Yeah. Let me do Petremen. And then this one. I, I can tell you that it was really weird uh, becoming sober. Uh, because I thought becoming sober would just be having a bum stop drinking vodka. I've never been a bum. I never liked vodka. Uh-huh. So it wasn't really the same. Uh, and another thing is that I always thought I really wanted to be a spiritual guy. You know, this sort of thing that I found interesting, being a spiritual guy. I even thought that shamanism was cool or Northern America uh, 
Indian Native tribes. Americans, yeah. Yeah, yeah Native yeah. Americans. So there's some spiritual stuff. All the nature stuff. I never felt spiritual because when you're alone on a Tuesday doing speed and drinking Jack and Coke on a bar here, you don't live a spiritual life. Mm-hmm. It's kind of impossible. But uh, it changed. Now I have I have a little spiritual life today. Um, but I remember the first time we went touring because we used to have this sort of rituals, me and Swavar. I mean, on the rider, there was a, a liter of Jack Daniels, Jim Beam of Jack Daniels. Uh, and I would always place the bottle on the top of the bass amplifier. And, you know, we would drink some before the show. Not too much for the show because we didn't, because we would drink during the show. Certain places in the show, I would take my guitar off, only sing, and I would be drinking a lot because I really loved that. And I was pouring whiskey into Swavar. So he's playing bass and certain parts, sort of in the Goddess of the Ages, always in the same, after the drum fill, I would go to Swavar and pour whiskey in him for like five or ten seconds. Mm-hmm. And Sounds healthy. Yeah, it sounds healthy. And I remember, I think this was Brutal Assault. The last time or the one before. I think the year that we have uh, the picture f- together. Us, yeah. Yeah. It's a metal festival in the Czech Republic, yeah. yeah. I think we, I think it was that one, because I uh, they're playing this song, and in my head, it's like autopilot, I'm going for the whiskey bottle, because I'm, I'm in the zone. And I look, this got me in my left, I look to the left, I'm walking towards the bass amplifier, and there's fucking water bottle on the bass amplifier. I'm like, I'm not gonna. I'm thinking this. I'm not gonna give him a sip of water. I mean, it's just sort of part of a show. Now, should I? No, but I don't care really. But no, it's, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give him fucking a sip of water. And then I told Swavar this, and Swavar's like, "Really? You thought that? I thought if he comes and gives me the water bottle, I'm gonna go crazy. <laughs> don't do it." <laughs> But I, it was a little bit. I was a little bit shy mm-hmm. uh, because I was so sort of what shall I say naked. I was aware of all the stuff. I thought mm-hmm. I thought they're all looking at me. They all think I'm weird. Mm-hmm. I am weird. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not. We still have this battle inside my head. So I thought because I have a few idols. That sort of have sort of are still on top of their game, cool as fuck. Um, they survived rock and roll and they quit drinking. Nick Cave being one of them. So I decided for the first in the beginning of this new lifestyle of mine, I'm just gonna pretend I'm Nick Cave. I'm not gonna be the shy kid from the Bredolt. I'm just gonna be Nick Cave. He's the coolest cat. Nick Cave would never think. They're all looking at me. I look weird. No. Fuck no. He would never think that. So I just became Nick Cave for a month or two. Until I forgot and I realized no one fucking cares. I'm just mm. going to be me. Mm. And I've been myself for like seven years. Yeah. it's uh, I, I remember because I remember this transformation. I saw this on you and I... I uh I think I actually noticed that you kind of ad- adapted something to kind of help you, 
get through it. But um, the the um, this situation that is now, I mean, like uh, the COVID thing, it kind of actually when you were describing the six weeks on the bus, it kind of sounds like a COVID lockdown in a way because you're stuck in a room with people that eventually make you crazy. Yeah. But how has this affected you guys? I know that you've been recording an album. You were supposed to be on tours. It's, 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 uh, we've, uh, the last six months, we've had one album and two children. Mm-hmm. So we've been busy. Um, my girl was supposed to be born on 10th of April. Uh, she was born on the 17th. So there was like, in Iceland, there was like the the the, uh, the peak of the corona insanity. So I was not supposed to be allowed to be in the hospital and, you know, it's kind of crazy. But, you know, that turned out fine. Uh, I just, yeah, there was a home birth and uh, we, when, regarding the album, we recorded it, started recording the album in February. Mm. So in February, this was still just some stuff going on in China. Then it came to Italy and came to sort of Europe. And uh, uh, yeah, and then we could sort of slowly just be recording the album. You know, being in a studio, two guys, it's, it's very easy. Mm. And uh, album got delayed a little bit. We've just been careful. None of us have had uh, been infected or. Mm. But I mean, like business-wise, I mean, like you, you can't well, go on tour. No. So. Uh, and how do you stay in touch? Because I know you're 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 the kind of guys that, and I've always respected that about you is that, even when when I saw you in Prague in the smallest places, you would still ha- hang out afterwards, talking to the fans. You know, going even with them for a beer or something, you know, like you always had this really, really close yeah, relationship. But it's, now it's just, you know, I think a lot of people are asking, can you do a, a live streaming? Yeah. But, you know, when reality takes over, newborn kids, wives, jobs. Takes all your time. We haven't played a song together in a rehearsal space since February. So we never have time. We have different jobs, different shifts. So, we, we can't. Mm. Um, we do some, you know, Instagram corresponding. Uh, I've, I've been doing a lot of interviews. I did 50 interviews in August. So, um, yeah, that's basically what I've been doing. I've been doing interviews, some Instagram stuff, mm. uh, the videos. But uh, the album is coming out now in... in November 6th. November, yeah. yeah. And what... Because usually you would go on a tour like two, three months after the yeah, album. Yeah, but that's... An, an, People have been saying that as well. Why are you releasing an album in the middle of a pandem- pandemic when you can't go touring? And mm. I, my answer is always, what's the alternative? When are we going to release it? Are we going to wait till everything is fine? So when is that going to be? Mm. Is that going to be a year from now? Four years? Never? Tomorrow? No one knows. So in- instead of cancelling culture, cancelling art, let's just continue what we can't continue. Let's do interviews let's do stuff through the internet podcasts podcasts exactly let's do what we can instead of canceling everything hmm. until when but it's cool actually i think about it now that it's it's uh, there are two bands that that filled stadiums and the music house in prague on the same night four or five years ago mm. that are making 
Records in November. It's Solstavir from Iceland and ACDC. <laughs> They're also releasing an album at the same time. So that is kind of cool because it's it's the I remember when I saw you guys fill that house at the same time as them I was like wow they the, my friends have become the real deal. Um anyway I, th- I think I think that's kind of like it's been a good overview of 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 the the story so far. I mean and and the beauty about it, it is going to continue but uh, I thought I thought it was only supposed to be about sex drugs and rock and roll. Yeah, but there is always a little bit behind because that's just what we see on the surface, and and uh, yeah, yeah. I have very young listeners, unheartened souls that are not ready for right. stuff like that. But uh, so you got an album coming in in uh, November. Where can people follow you guys? I mean, what what's that? Instagram, MySpace, <laughs> fax. <laughs> you have uh, a fax list. Fax list. Uh, Do you still have the PO boxes from Breitholt? Uh It's only a few years ago that uh, I sort of cancelled it but there is a fan club or something right or it's i mean it's all on instagram of course uh facebook is still there of course um we have we have twitter instagram facebook and um and you are your your record label is called season of season mist. of mist uh you know this uh, you can pre-order stuff there and and you have a store also. You sell a lot of T-shirts and different stuff like that. Yeah, we have a, a company called Impericon. Well, it's not our company, but Impericon is uh, Impericon.com. Uh-huh. They are selling our official merchandise. And and if people wanna uh, follow you personally, that would be Instagram or 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 or. Yeah, I have an Instagram page, sort of uh, an open Instagram page. So. Sure. Okay, so that's at the. No, I it's, I think it's my last name, Trikvason. Trikvason, yeah, yeah, that's true. Anyway, you guys can um, just go to uh, go to uh, your Instagram. Yeah, yeah, you can I, go I, to my Instagram, Midlife Crisis Warrior, or my Twitter, and and then I can I'll help be you the from one. There. I'll be the one as heart every post. Yeah, and uh, uh, anyway, guys, so it's been great to talk to Ati. I I um, of course, as always, I learned something new, stuff that I didn't know. Um, uh, keep following those guys. Uh, look out for the music. And even though he talks about being um, painted as a panther in a cemetery in Iceland in '95, it's it's the music is so much more than that. It and has developed a little bit. I mean, it's much more melodic than than you might think from the description. Um, their shows, their live shows, are amazing. Um, they both look cool and sound cool, and they're always coming around in around Europe and and the states. So. Um, Thanks for listening. Go to my Twitter, my Instagram, follow me. There's a Facebook page for the show, The Bunker, How the Hell Did We End Up Here? And uh, thanks for everything. Tell anyone you know about this show because I'm a sucker for attention. Bye. Thank you.